Easter is about light conquering darkness. Easter is about love conquering hatred. Easter is about despair becoming hope. It's about sorrow becoming joy. It's about death becoming life. It's about crucifixion becoming resurrection. Easter is about the God of miracles and the greatest miracle of all. Through miracles, God speaks to us. Through miracles, God proves his presence. Through miracles, God demonstrates his power. Through miracles, God expresses his love. Do you believe in the God of miracles? Now, I was raised in a Christian home. My parents raised me to believe there's a God and that Jesus is his son. They raised me to believe in the God of miracles. But honestly, as I got older, I wrestled with what I believed and why I believed what I believed. And I especially wrestled with miracles. It's not that I didn't think that miracles probably happened back in Jesus' day. It's I wasn't really sure that they really happened anymore. But the more I explored the evidence for miracles, the more I opened up my mind to the possibility that they might occur, the more I came to believe that they did and do occur. Do you believe in the God of miracles? Now, Eric Metaxas is a New York Times best-selling author, and his works have had a profound impact in my life. And he recently wrote a book entitled Miracles. And in that book, he talks about what miracles are. He recounts some of the miracles that people that he knows personally have experienced, including himself, and the way that miracles have impacted his own spiritual journey. Because like me, he grew up in a Christian home. He grew up in the Greek Orthodox tradition of Christianity. And he said that his father is a proud Greek and wanted to instill within him a pride in his Greek heritage. And, and so he would always point out things that were Greek. And so like uh, one time they were driving around together and they saw one of those fish bumper emblems. You ever seen them on the back of cars? And he said, his dad, his dad said, oh, now son, see that right there? The Greeks gave that to Christianity. And, and so he explained what he meant by that. He said, see, the Greek word for fish is ichthus. And in the very first church, and this is true, it became an acronym for who Jesus is. Jesus Christos Deus Human Sotir. Jesus Christ, Son of God, our Savior. And that fish symbol became a sign between believers who were being persecuted in the first church. If one believer drew the first part of the fish, if the other person knew they were to draw the second part, you knew that person was also a believer. And Eric said that that symbol played a profound part in his own spiritual journey. Because as an adult, he rejected the Christianity of his heritage. He went off to school at Yale University, and instead he determined to pursue truth. He believed that he didn't believe that God was a being. He believed God was more like a force and that you tapped into this force. And so in his own mind, he pictured this pursuit of truth and this force in this way. He was an avid ice fisherman. And so he pictured uh, tapping into truth like drilling a hole in a frozen lake and tapping into what he called the collective consciousness of all mankind. Beyond that, he wasn't sure what he believed, 
but he was pretty sure he did not believe in the God of miracles. Do you? Do you believe that there could be a God who breaks natural laws? Do you believe that there might be a God who intervenes in human affairs? Now, like John said earlier, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, you're welcome here. If you would call yourself an atheist or an agnostic, a skeptic or a spiritual seeker, a struggling believer, even if you're an L.A. Lakers fan. (laughs) Even you are welcome here, but we'll be praying for you. (laughs) City Church is a safe community where all people, can explore our faith in Jesus Christ and wrestle with your deepest doubts. But I do want you to know that City Church believes in the God of miracles. You see, 2,000 years ago, an unknown man from an obscure town suddenly burst onto the scenes and he gathered huge crowds around him, all who came to see miracles. One of the miracles that Jesus performed took place in a house where he was teaching. Now, in in their day, most houses had a gathering area where, like, you could fit about 40 to 50 people if everybody sat on the ground. And so Jesus was teaching in a home and in an area like that. But so many people had gathered that they spilled out of the doorways into the street, all wanting to hear him speak and see him perform miracles. Well, some friends brought a paralyzed man who was their friend to see Jesus, but they couldn't get him in, in front of Jesus. And so they climbed onto the roof of the house where Jesus was teaching. And the roofs in those days were made out of tree branches with palm leaves over them and then clay over that. And they devised a plan. This is Mark chapter two, uh, verse four. Now, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, They made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now these men lowered their paralyzed friend down in front of Jesus, hoping that he would address a great need in his life, which was paralysis. Instead, Jesus addressed an even greater need in his life, the forgiveness of sins. But you know what's interesting? The man didn't ask Jesus to forgive his sins. So what prompted Jesus to forgive the paralyzed man's sins? What does the passage say? What did Jesus see and when he saw it, he forgave his sins? It was their faith. When Jesus saw faith in them, he said to that man, your sins are forgiven. But what was their faith in? I mean, Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet, so it couldn't be in that. Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead yet, couldn't be in that. What was their faith in? And this is critical. Their faith was in who Jesus is. Because they believed If we can get our paralyzed friend in front of Jesus, he could miraculously heal him. Something only God can do. And then when Jesus said to that paralyzed man's son, your sins are forgiven, he was also saying something about who he is. Notice what happened next. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, 
Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? You see, those Jewish leaders understood what was going on here. You see, Jewish rabbis taught that only God can forgive sins and only God can miraculously heal. And so they became offended when Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. Notice how Jesus responded. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. It was a miracle. It was a miracle. Now, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? I mean, it's not a trick question. It's easier to say your sins are forgiven because you can't prove it, right? But so that everybody would know that he has authority to forgive sins, Jesus said, stand up and walk. And in one day, that paralyzed man experienced two things that only God can do, miraculously heal and forgive sins. And why did he experience both of those things? Because he had faith in who Jesus is. Miracles prove God's power they demonstrate his presence among us. Miracles express God's love and miracles show that Jesus is the son of God and that he has authority to forgive your sins and he has authority to miraculously heal whenever he chooses. Do you believe in the God of miracles? Now, one year ago, this weekend, I heard about a miracle among us. I had taught on what the Bible teaches about healing when I was still out at the West Campus. And that, that week, I prayed to God and I said, okay, God, I'm gonna be teaching on healing here, so I'm sort of you know, sticking my neck out there. And so, God, I'm asking that you would miraculously heal at least one person this weekend. And so after every service, we had dozens and dozens of people who came forward for prayer and we prayed over them and we heard the story of one woman and what she asked for. Doctors had recently done some tests and diagnosed her with malignant cancer, and the cancer was on her kidney, and she was beginning her treatment soon, and she wanted prayer. And so the prayer team member who prayed over her asked for God to completely heal her in Jesus' name. Well, two weeks later, that woman went to her oncologist, and he ran another test trying to determine if the cancer had grown and if it had spread. Instead, he told her that the tumor was gone. It was a miracle. And that prayer team member told me that when, she, when the woman was recounting what had happened, she was filled with joy. Now, I want to make sure we understand what I'm talking about when I talk about miracles and the God of miracles, because I think people throw that word miracle around way too often, okay? So I just went to the dictionary. And the dictionary defines a miracle in this way. It's an extraordinary event 
manifesting divine intervention in human affairs. And that's what I mean by miracle. But like I said, some people talk about miracles way too often. Like those of us who like sports, like football, we talk about miraculous catches, right? Like, uh, remember this one, Odell Beckham? Oh, man. I did have him on my fantasy football team, so that did make it a win for me. But, and if you saw the catch, one-handed catch, it was amazing, wasn't it? But it's not a miracle. And then there's the Memorial Day miracle shot by Sean Elliott that propelled the Spurs into their first championship. Okay, now that one, that was almost a miracle. But come on, it, it really wasn't a miracle. And then I was watching The Voice recently, and Adam Levine, he talked about a certain contestant whom he said had a miraculous range vocally. And while the guy's voice was pretty amazing, it wasn't miraculous. And then there's this whole miracle whip thing. <laughs> Where are my mayonnaise people out there? I mean, no offense to you miracle whip people, but ain't nothing miraculous about that stuff. Mm. But when a young woman becomes pregnant without ever having sex, that's a miracle. When a paralyzed man stands up and walks, that's a miracle. When a spoken word calms a raging storm, that's a miracle. And when a malignant tumor is gone after a prayer of faith, that is a miracle. Do you believe in the God of miracles? Now, Eric Metaxas, whom I talked to you about earlier, the, the guy who wrote the book Miracles, came to a place in his life where he desperately needed the God of miracles, the God who he said he didn't believe in anymore. Um, because you know what? Sometimes... God will even speak to us in a miraculous way. So this is what had happened. He had graduated from Yale, had a degree in English, but he was struggling to make a living. So he ended up working for a chemical company, proofreading chemical manuals in a dingy office. He had a long-term relationship that was on again, off again, that had ended poorly. And he said he was sinking into a bit of a depression. But he met a guy at work, an older guy named Ed, who was married and had three kids, who was a graphic designer, and he was one of those born-again Christian people that had turned him off and that he stayed away from at Yale. Well, anyway, they struck up a friendship, and over time, they began to talk about God and faith and even miracles. And eventually, Ed encouraged Eric who was beginning to doubt his doubts. He encouraged him. He said, look, I know you don't believe in God yet, but why don't you pray to God if he is there and ask him to speak to you in a way that means something to you. And then one night, Eric had a vivid dream. In that dream, he was on a frozen lake that he had fished on many times. And he and a couple of friends bored a hole into the ice. And out of the ice came the snout of a fish, which he said, of course, never happens. And so he said in the dream, he reached down and grabbed the fish by the gills. And he said, it looked sort of like a pike, but he said it was golden. And in fact, in the dream, he realized it wasn't just golden. 
It was gold. And that fish looked at him straight in the eyes. And in his dream, he realized this was Ichthus, Jesus Christ, Son of God, our Savior. And he writes, I knew immediately that God had one-upped me in the language of my own symbol system. The next day I told Ed about my dream. He asked what I thought it meant. And I said that I thought what I thought I would never say to anyone. I said that I had believed in Jesus. And when I spoke those words, I was flooded with joy. It was a miracle. Now, in this message, I am trying to stir in your hearts the faith to believe in the God of miracles and miracles. But I do want to acknowledge that miracles don't always happen. In fact, miracles don't normally happen. Okay? If miracles normally happen, they'd be called normals, right? The when and the why of miracles are a mystery. I mean, why does God miraculously heal one person but doesn't heal another person. I don't know. It's a mystery. And for some of you, this message today is actually painful because you cried out to God for a miracle, for you or for a loved one, and you didn't get your miracle. And when you didn't get that miracle, you became disappointed with God, maybe even angry at God. And I want you to know that's okay. That's a part of forging a relationship with a God of mystery. Today I am asking you to trust in the God of miracles, but also in the God of mystery. Because Jesus never promised that he would always give us a miracle. In fact, I want you to to recognize something. Every single person that Jesus ever healed eventually got sick and died from something. But there is one miracle that Jesus promised that every single person can experience. Just before he healed a good friend of his who had been dead for four days, he made this astounding promise recorded in John eleven twenty five. 25. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And then Jesus raised his good friend Lazarus from the dead to prove he could give us that miracle. And Jesus said, anyone, are you anyone? He said, anyone who believes in me can experience the miracle of the resurrection. So the ball is in your court. He's made the promise. Will you believe? Will you believe in the God of miracles? Nearly 2,000 years ago on a dark Friday, Jesus was brutally tortured, crucified on a cross. But three days later, on a Sunday, the light shined out of the darkness. This is John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, With the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. 
The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. It was a miracle. And it's clear that it was a miracle that the disciples were not expecting. But when they saw Jesus resurrected, their fear became faith. Their sorrow became joy. But one of the disciples wasn't there. Verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, hey, we've seen the Lord, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas would not believe what he could not see, and he wanted evidence. He wanted to see Jesus himself and to touch Jesus himself. Now, you know, Thomas gets a bad reputation because of this. You know, a lot of people view him as like this Debbie Downer or something. I mean, think about it. Ever since that day, what do we call skeptics? Doubting Thomases. Wow. But you know what? I'm glad Jesus included a skeptic among his key disciples because I'm a skeptic at heart. You know, when, when I told you about the struggle I had in my faith, it, it was all about why I believe what I believe. Like, why did I believe in God? And why did I believe Jesus was the Son of God? And why would I believe in miracles? I didn't want to believe because my grandparents believed. I didn't want to believe because my parents believed. I wanted evidence for myself, just like Thomas. Verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he looked at Thomas. rut row. <laughs> he said, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord, and my God. Jesus had heard Thomas's doubting words, but instead of rejecting him or punishing him, Jesus gave Thomas a reason to believe. And when Thomas saw Jesus resurrected, his doubt became faith, and that faith welled within him and gave birth to a new vision for his life. Because Thomas, when he saw Jesus raised from the dead, he left the land of Israel that he knew so well, and he went to the nations east of Israel and proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus and performed miracles among them so they would believe too. I have personally met believers in Iran, in Armenia, and in India who traced their spiritual heritage back to Thomas. Now, Thomas was eventually martyred in India for his faith. But before that, he took the good news about Jesus to the farthest known nations of his day. Why? Because he believed in the God of miracles. Folks, Jesus has risen from the dead. And miracles prove he has authority to forgive your sins. Miracles prove he has authority to heal the sick whenever he chooses. Miracles prove he has authority to give you resurrected life. And miracles prove that he is who he said he was, Jesus Christ, Son of God, our Savior. 
And the miracle of the resurrection means this life is not it. It is only the beginning of eternity. And the miracle of the resurrection means that we don't have to grieve like those who have no hope. We believe we will see loved ones again. And the miracle of the resurrection means that your marriage or your family or your relationships that might be broken can be restored and healed. And the miracle of the resurrection means that you can overcome. You can overcome guilt and fear and anger and depression and addictions. Will you believe in the God of miracles? Now, a little over six years ago, my mother was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. And by the time they found the cancer, it had already spread through her bloodstream to her liver. It didn't go through the lymph nodes. And so doctors told us that with aggressive surgery and aggressive chemotherapy, my mom would probably live a year or, a, or two years at most. And so mom had the first surgery on her colon to remove the, the cancer from there. And then she went through a regimen of chemotherapy to try to shrink the tumor in her liver. Then she had a second surgery to remove the tumor from her liver. And then she went through a gruesome, it was about three or four months of chemotherapy that almost killed her. All in an attempt to keep the cancer from spreading. But at the end of those three or four months, she went in and had a PET scan and the cancer had spread to her lung. And so she went in and had another very painful surgery to remove half of her lung. And when she came out of the anesthesia, she told us, I'm done. I can't, I can't do this anymore. She was a shell of the person she once had been. And so she said, I don't want any more surgeries. I don't want any more chemotherapy. I'm just ready to go. And so the doctors told us because the cancer had spread through her bloodstream, they, they prepared us for the inevitable. And so from that point forward, the only treatment my mom got was prayer. And I wish I could tell you that I was so full of faith during that time and all, but I really wasn't. I was mostly just praying out of despair. Well, at the end of six months, mom went in and had a PET scan. And my dad told me that when the oncologist came into the waiting room, he was reading the report and shaking his head in disbelief because there was no evidence of cancer anywhere in my mom's body. It was a miracle. And my mom is now five and a half years cancer-free. Easter is about sickness becoming health. Easter is about despair becoming hope, sorrow becoming joy, death becoming life. Easter is about the God of miracles and His Son, Jesus Christ. And I speak to you this Easter the words that Jesus spoke to Thomas. Stop doubting and believe. Let's pray together. If you're ready to stop doubting and to believe today, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And I want you to whisper this prayer out loud and let it express what you now believe. Are you ready? God, I believe in you. And I believe that Jesus is your son. And I believe he died on the cross to pay for my sins. 
And so I ask you to forgive me of my sins and to make me your child. And Lord God, I asked you to do, for those who prayed that prayer of faith, for those who have stopped doubting and believed, I ask that you would do what you promised, which is to forgive their sins. So I ask even right now, Lord, that you would remove any burden of guilt that they have felt. I ask that you remove any stain of sin. And I ask you, Lord God, because you said, if anyone would believe in your son, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit to confirm within their hearts that they are your children. And so right now I ask you to fill them with your Holy Spirit and to confirm within their hearts that they are your children and they can call you God, my Father, from this day forward. And we thank you, Lord God, that you are a God of miracles. And we thank you for the greatest miracle of all, Jesus Christ.